Welcome to the Autonomous Podcast, a curated audio Q&A with media personalities. I'm Steve Krakauer. This is episode 12. On today's season finale podcast, I'm joined by Hannah Storm of ESPN. Today's Autonomous Podcast is powered by Sculpt, the creative agency for a connected generation. That's S-C-U-L-P-T. More on them later. From news to sports, from the Olympics to social media, we start at the beginning. Where were you born? Oh, I was born in Oak Park, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Okay. Your parents uh, were from there or? Um, My father was in the Marine Corps. And so um, he was stationed there and he actually helped to start the Toys for Tots program, which a lot of people are familiar with. And um, he had a longtime love of sports and the local basketball team at the time, the Chicago Zephyrs, um, needed a ticket salesman. And so my dad applied and uh, got a part-time job, which eventually became a full-time job. And then he decided to, you know, go for a career um, in sports management. And he had a really long, successful career. But he was a uh, he was a, a career Marine man before the Marine Corps man before that. Interesting. Interesting. And what, what do you what consider sort of your first memory? What's something that you can actually kind of point to from your childhood? Uh, well, we moved around so much. So I remember like my very first memory is my brother who is 14 months younger um, in Baltimore in some kind of living room. And I remember being sort of perched up and learning how to sit and um, him being a baby next to me. And that's like the first thing that I consciously remember. Got it. Um, and to, we so, went. We went from Chicago, right? To you know, we were only in Chicago for like a year, and then uh, we went to Baltimore because the Chicago Zephyrs became a team, which at the time was called the Baltimore Bullets, which then became the Cincinnati Bullets, which then became the Washington Bullets, which is now the Washington Wizards. So there right. you go. Now I understand. Yeah. Got it. So follow the uh, the whole the whole trail there. Um, right. Exactly. Uh, follow the bouncing basketball. Right. Uh, how were you as a student? Uh, high school, college? What did you think of school? Well, I mean, I, 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 because I moved around so much and I went to so many different kinds of schools, um, I, I actually skipped eighth grade. Um, so I went to a, a really, really great school in Louisville, Kentucky, when I lived there, and I think it was just an um, advanced sort of school. And then when I moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Um, after seventh grade, they, they decided I was ready for high school. So I actually graduated from high school when I was 16 years old. Wow. And then I graduated from college when I was 20 years old. So uh, all of that was pretty good, despite not you know being of legal age the entire time when I was in college. Um, and I, you know, I, I would say that I was definitely a, a good student and, you know, I liked it. Got it. Um, what do you consider your first job? It could be, you know, after college, before college, but what do you kind of point to there? Um, well, I, I started working when I was really young, um, different jobs, um, you know, like sort of hospitality kind of waitressing job. So I think my first really serious job was, and it was pretty funny because I was the only person in my family working at the time because my dad was in between jobs and my mom was working, but she had just uh, sold the company that she was working for. And so I, I, I thought it was pretty funny as a teenager, but I was 15. Um, 
I will say that I probably fudged my age a little bit to get my job. Um, and I was a waitress at a uh, really successful chain of kind of upscale fast food um, in Fifth Plaza, which is a mall in Atlanta. And the restaurant that I worked at was called The Park. And, um, yeah, I worked really, really long hours. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lot. I mean, I've always been really interested in cooking and sort of uh, the restaurant business. And that was my first. And then I, I went on and for you know many, many years. I worked uh, while I was doing internships for free. Um, I would, you know, earn money for school, you know, waitressing and and working in restaurants. Got it. Got it. Well, let's go to the sort of your your broadcasting career. And I know one of the first uh, national jobs you had. I know there were some local stations that you worked for, but uh, one of the early ones was um, at CNN, actually, uh, on a sports show there. Uh, sort of the earlier days of of cable news. What was that experience like in going from sort of the local markets to to CNN? Yeah, I went actually from Houston to Charlotte to CNN, and you know, I'd only really been full-time in TV for a year when I went to CNN, wow. but I had worked a lot of part-time uh, television. I had a lot of experience when I was in Houston because I did the Rockets and Astros broadcast, um, but you know, it was quite a, a jump to go from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina to CNN, where I was the first female host of, you know, CNN Sports. Um, and it was a great job. It was a little bit, you know, it was, I won't say overwhelming, but I, I learned to deal with a lot of things because I was the first female and one of the only women on sports doing television. I believe Gail Gardner was doing it at the time on ESPN. And so there were very few of us that were, you know, on TV, especially nationally at right. that time doing sports. So, you know, I had to deal with hate mail and, um, you know, things like that. Uh, people who, you know, felt that I shouldn't be talking about sports because I was a woman. Um, and actually, guy who was uh, my really good friend at the time is now my husband, um, Dan Hicks. He came to CNN about a month after me. And uh, he was just so awesome um, during that time. And we, we became friends. And, you know, obviously, you know, later, you know, many years, several years later, we got married. But uh, that, I think that's how, you know, his death was next to mine. So he would see all the crazy stuff that, you know, I had to deal with. And, um, you know, I had to take a quiz to be considered for the job, which is pretty funny because he didn't a sports like, quiz. Oh, I was going to say sports um, quiz? Yeah, or, yeah. like, you know, oh, yeah, like a, yeah, like a 15-question sports <laughs> quiz. <laughs> like, what's the difference between the American and National League? You know, stuff like that. It was pretty funny um, in retrospect. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, it was, you know, it was a great job. It was an exhausting job. I mean, we, we worked a lot of hours. We, you know, I did a lot of the late-night shows till, like, 2 in the morning. Um, as well as, you know, I hosted, um, some specialty shows, you know, I hosted their baseball show, you know, I hosted, you know, I did a lot of sort of covered a lot of events, you know, from the Daytona 500 to all-star games to, I mean, you name it, we basically did everything. And, um, I was, you know, it was a department of about 75 people, you know, and I was the only woman on air. So wow. it was, uh, it was great. I have this great picture at my house of me 
and all these guys. And it, was a, it was a picture of all the anchors. <laughs> and I was just there in my red jacket, like standing out, like a, like a sore thumb. How has social media changed Storm's job? And how has it been watching this presidential election from the outside? The, I'd say the closest thing that I did at CBS News to sports was the DNC, right? So <laughs> it just is like a sporting event right, to me. Yeah. And, you know, when I, it was funny because I've been watching the last, you know, I've obviously been watching the coverage. And, you know, I see the anchors and I see they're out at a desk and they're outside of this huge center and there's all this action going on. And the whole thing looks to me like they're, it's, it's, it's very similar to covering a sporting event. Oh, yeah. You know, and Debates now I are think like they're, that. you know, out there and yeah, things are happening and they're winging it and, um, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of things are happening and they're having to react to it and they're outside and they're, you know, doing, you know, if you, if you really weren't aware of what was happening and you were just sort of watching, you would think that they're, you know, covering a, a big soccer match or something, um, but, um, or a Super Bowl. And, um, so I always kind of, I just sort of, you know, to me, especially watching the conventions, there's so many similar parallels to going and covering like, you know, the NFL draft, yeah. right. Is a, is a, you know, might, might be a great, a great parallel example of something that goes on for a few days and you're outside and you're covering it and there are fans and there are people and it's like the whole, you know, it runs the whole gamut of people who are passionate about something too. And so, um, to me, it's, uh, you know, there are some similarities, but it's, you know, it's, it's, everything has changed, not just the covering of, of news and obviously this, um, election cycle and the way that people are disseminating information. It's the same thing with sports. Um, and the interesting thing that obviously has changed at all is social media and it's the ability to get a message out directly and to control your message in many ways. And so I think it's interesting for me to watch candidates to try trying to control their own message in as unfiltered a way as possible. And how does that resonate? And, you know, what, what happens and doesn't happen and, you know, what, what missteps, um, and what's effective along the way, because it's the same thing in my business where you, you know, in many respects, um, there are, there are more opportunities for talent because there's, there are so many more, there's so many more ways to cover something, right? I mean, we cover national championships, you know, a dozen different ways, and that all has to be staffed by talent. At the same time, you have outlets like uh, whatever, whatever it may be, Instagram, Twitter, and, and, you know, the Players' Tribune is a great example, where, where an, an athlete or a political figure or a news figure can just, can just give content. Right. I mean, it can, just, they can just completely, 100% control the message. And so I love, you know, watching that, too. So I would say as much as, you know, I follow it on television, I follow it on other other outlets. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing also like with Twitter. social media. I and, mean, and to me, that that's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Twitter itself and, and other social media platforms is so important now on, on sort of your end of it. You know, you've got a couple hundred thousand followers on Twitter, big presence on Facebook as well. And, and, and I wonder how much do, does, has social media changed your job and, and sort of the job of media outlets? Well, you know what? You can't ever get, I, I do get away from it because I think a really important part, a really important part of just sort of mental health and also having a life is that you can't be married to it. So right. 
I'm, I'm not. Um, and I, I'll step away and sometimes, you know, I'll step away for days if I have to, you know, or hours. I certainly don't feel compelled if I'm watching something on television to just constantly tweet about it. Um, at the same time, it is part of the job and you have to maintain it. So I, what I try to do is not maintain it to the exclusion of real life, you know, because then I think you become a slave to it. And then I think you also lose a little bit of your authenticity. And so when I, when I, I do it, I, I sort of, you know, pick and choose my spots. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I do it where it works into the flow of my day. So for instance, you'll see me a lot pushing out content in the middle of the day. I could push it out at night maybe and get more hits on it or what, for lack of a better word. But at the same time, I, don't, I can't eat up my night, you know, doing that. It's yeah. added to the workload. Um, and you, you know, obviously have to have a tough skin um, because if you choose to really read, you know, what people are saying and all of that, you know, you've got to really be careful to not internalize any of that. Yeah. And I think um, but you know what? I don't really try to, I guess, play a, play a game on social media. I'm just pretty straightforward, you know. And um, if I feel like saying something, I do. And it's definitely something to be taken extremely seriously. Storm's career has included interviews with some of the most influential people in the world. And her work for these Olympics included a unique interview-focused preparation. That, next. But first, today's autonomous podcast is powered by social media agency Sculpt. Sculpt works with entrepreneurial brands they believe in helping build community, drive conversions, and tell powerful stories through social media marketing. Their Iowa City-based group of community managers, digital strategists, and graphic designers have become the extension of in-house marketers, startups, and creative teams nationwide, and they'd love to show you how. Find out more at wearesculpt.com. That's wearesculpt.com. Now, back to Hannah's story. Yeah, it was a very interesting uh, offer by NBC because the job description was, you know, all live event programming and, and studio shows built around live events. And, of course, I've been doing, you know, multiple studio shows um, every week for, for three years. And uh, Dick Ebersol, who was the president of NBC Sports at the time, was a little bit of an insomniac. And um, he just watched. He, he would... You know, watch everything on television and then get up in the morning and devour like five newspapers. And so he was very aware of who was out there, who was doing what. You know, he saw everything and he would, you know, watch me late at night. Um, he also watched Dan, my husband, which was really interesting. And um, and they needed quite a bit of personnel because they were doing the Barcelona Olympics and they were doing something called a triple cast where they had... You know, they needed a lot of anchors at the time. Um, they also had Notre Dame football. They also had, you know, the NBA on NBC. Um, so, and they had Wimbledon. So they had a lot. They had a lot, a lot, a lot of sports. They had NFL. I mean, they had, they had, they had just had a ton of inventory at that time. And so, um, you know, Ted Turner really wanted me to stay at CNN. You know, it was a very interesting time where, you know, some lawyers were involved and, and, um, I, you know, there was no way that, that CNN, you know, Matt could match the actual job description of NBC. So it was, you know, it was, and, and I, and I wanted, I wanted the challenge. I mean, my lifelong dream was to anchor Olympics because, 
I and do a morning show because there were no women on television that were doing sports. And I wanted to do sports on TV. There was literally was no one on television doing that that I could see, right? Except for the morning show anchors like Jane Pauley would do the Olympics. Right. And so, and Kathleen Sullivan, you know, like whoever was doing sort of the morning shows, they would always go to the Olympics and broadcast the Olympics. And so to me, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do what Jane Pauley did. I wanted to broadcast Olympics and I wanted to broadcast, you know, the Today Show at the time. So I thought both of those things were great and they were both sort of goals that I had out there. So um, it was, uh, you know, it was a, obviously a dream come true to, you know, jump right to NBC and, you know, have the Olympics be my second event. Um, so I... I went there and like one week later I was hosting Wimbledon late night and I flew right from Wimbledon to Barcelona wow. and I hosted Barcelona late night. Yeah. And, uh, it was pretty amazing. And that was the first of four Olympics that I hosted. Um, in Salt Lake, I hosted days in Sydney. I hosted days in Barcelona. I hosted late night and in Atlanta, I hosted late night. So I was in the chair when, the, for the Atlanta bombing at the Atlanta Olympics. Right, when sort of the sports. So this was actually, so I actually haven't done an Olympics since Salt Lake in 2002. And, you know, here I am. And I was, you know, that was, a, you know, when I left NBC, you know, the saddest thing for me was, wow, I'm, I'm not going to be able to broadcast an Olympics. Right. You know, and I, and I went and I did morning television at CBS and I absolutely loved it. I loved that job so much. But I would say the one thing that I really, you know, missed and the thing that NBC has a stranglehold on is the Olympics. And yeah. so now to be able to go with SportsCenter, SportsCenter's never broadcast a full, you know, show from there, much less like do it for a week. So to be able to actually go now and cover an Olympics, even though I'm not with a host broadcaster, and it is a different experience than NBC, but just to be able to do that it's now, it's so exciting so i'm really happy so yes. here we go it's like olympics number olympics number five there you go 14, 14 years, years later. later exactly 14 <laughs> years later well, well 14 so year gap <laughs> i mean my daughter who's fifth my youngest daughter who's in high school now actually learned to walk at the salt lake olympics that's how long it's been so that that's how i put it in perspective which right. is pretty funny right by her age yeah. um well how has the preparation changed then you know 14 years later obviously you know roles uh, you know different but between what you're doing now with espn but but what is the preparation it, for an olympics yeah like? you know what it changed a lot because what i did this time around especially not being a host broadcaster you have to be creative how are you going to cover it right and so what we devised, and I really thought this was a cool strategy and it was one that I love because my show, um, Face to Face, is an interview show. You know, it's a very heavily interview-based format. And so what I did is I basically flew around the country for the last few weeks and I, I interviewed a dozen Olympic figures um, going into the game. And so I have in the can like 15 interview pieces you know, to air next week. And I got to say, I, you know, at NBC, obviously you would study people and they would do well. And if they had goals, they would come and sit down with you in the studio. Right. Well, in this case I did, I interviewed all of them on their way to Rio and we're going to air them in advance of their events. And obviously if they do well, we have those interviews as well that are more, you know, cutting to the core of who they are as a person and their, 
you know, hopes and dreams and, and really interesting aspects about them and their, their personal narrative, you know, going into the game. So I got to say, it was really cool to talk to people on the run-up to Rio. Right. You know, either people who are already huge stars and why the, these games are important or people who are going to be, you know, Katie Ledecky household names, obviously, by the time, you know, next week hits. Right. So I got to say... I really enjoyed it. Um, I interview a ton of athletes in my job and um, not, you know, not swimmers, right? I don't inter- get to interview, <laughs> right, right. you know, people like that. So, like, that was cool. And at the same time, I got to reconnect with athletes that I, I have a great relationship with, but this was a completely different context with guys like Kyrie Irving or Carmelo Anthony or Coach K, you know, to talk to them about something that's so different and, you know, such a different aspect of um, their lives and, and, you know, their personal history. is This has been, been really fun. So I really enjoyed, I guess, the quote-unquote prep work. Um, and then a lot of what I do is I will react to, you know, what's happening there, right. um, too. So that's, you know, a lot of my prep is just general olympic prep and then you know it's going to be more intensive that day depending on like what happened the night before too you know obviously my morning my sports center being in the morning is going to be a lot of reacting to you know what what's happened yeah. at night yeah well, you mentioned the the face-to-face interviews and it really is sort of your signature is is these, these longer form interviews that that really kind of distinguished from the rest of, I think, what we see on on, on Sports Center. So, what do you think it, yeah. it is that that um, drew you to that type of journalism, where it's, it's really sort of that in depth uh, interview that comes from from some of the most, uh, you know, the peop- the names that people see on TV and playing their sport, but not really getting to know. Yeah, it's you know one of my other idols, you know, and was was Barbara Walters because right she was such a seminal figure in yeah. television. So again. You know, the other thing that I found, you know, and the other thing that I always wanted to do, and I remember even telling Dick Eversall this when I first went to NBC, was I want to do interview specials. Like that, like to me, the fascinating thing about sports is the people, right? Because it's such a microcosm of, of human nature, sports. And to me, sports and what makes people successful, it's a study in human nature. And everyone has a, a fascinating Story, and that's how you invest in being passionate about a team. Sure, it's part of your DNA, like you grew up a Celtics fan or whatnot. Right. But at the same time, the reason that people invest in sports and sports stories, particularly in something like an Olympics, where maybe it's an athlete they see once every four years, is what, what makes that person fit, what makes them interesting, what's their backstory. So that's always fascinated me, just people. And I think interviewing is something that I've always worked really hard at and take a lot of pride in. And um, I do, you know, an insane amount of preparation. And, you know, I'm involved in everything from the booking to the editing. So for the ones that are on tape. So I I do think that, you know, it's been a goal. And I I do think it's it's absolutely a signature um, of mine. And you know, when we were looking at the sports centers and how to offer something beyond highlights, because now, of course, you've got the highlights by the time you watch Sports Center, right. you know, unless you're watching it at night. 
you know, you've already seen the highlights and they're on your phone and they're, you know, you're on your computer and, you know, what, what are you going to offer people that's different? And I think the great thing about Sports Center face to face is, you know, ESPN said, okay, this is for strength. These were prime time interview specials. Let's, let's, let's do them every day. You know, let's do that, do that signature piece every day. So what we started last NFL season was, um, let's bring, let's try to bring some of these people in house even and do them live. You know, now I think we're at a point where it's certainly all these Olympic ones are on tape, but also it's a lot of it's live. Right. And then we try to push the content out online as well, just to give people something different, you know, so it'll, it usually will enhance a story, you know, that's in the news or it'll be linked to a story in the news. We'll link to, to an interview and, you know, we'll cut a long form interview up into more, more sort of social media friendly, smaller bits, you know, where it's a snippet, not, not even more than a snippet, but it's a portion of a conversation, right. you know? And so I think we're able to use, you know, use the content in a variety of different ways. And, and there are still people that love, you know, a long form interview because you can do so much more with it than, you know, than a regular interview. And it's, it's really, it's really something that is different. You know what I mean? That you, you can't get, you can't just can't get that everywhere. So Right. You've got the access also. It's it's fun. It's a real, yeah, I, I think it's been, a I think it's been a really, I think it's been a good format because you still get the news, but yet you're, you know, you do a deep dive and a, you know, you drill, drill down into, you know, sort of what makes people tick. And that's always really fun. We'll close with Storm's work at CBS and as a producer. But first, how has the coverage of news in sports evolved, specifically as it relates to domestic violence and other more serious matters? In 2014, yeah. you gave a, a really powerful commentary after the Ray Rice video had come out, um, and and uh, sort of about domestic violence in general. And I, I wonder, you know, you, your career has really spanned, you know, a long time in the sports business. How do you think? Sports coverage, especially, has has now evolved to deal with more serious issues like domestic violence. It has completely changed, um, and I think that uh, if you go back before the Ray Rice incident, I think it would be the Donald Sterling um, incident that really, and the NBA's response, in particular, Adam Silver right. took on uh, Donald Sterling. Um, really, really front and center and, and helped place it right in the center of the mainstream sports conversation. You know, one of the, one of the, I think, uncomfortable things, certainly even coming from the news world when covering sports was almost the separation of, wow, here's this really serious incident, but now let's go back on the field, you know, (laughs) rather than, rather than the big picture always being front and center, which it should be. Um, And I, I always felt like, you know, there were there have always been social issues involved in sports and very, very serious social issues. In fact, Carmelo Anthony and I were talking about going back to, you know, I mean, here we are 1968 talking about the Black Power salute, right? And, and um, you know, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, right? And, um, and I think that, you know, even with, you know, Ali and, and doing that, um, and, 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 you know, talking about him and his life and everything that was happening decades ago, you know, and these are still issues, you know, of race that we're talking about now. Right. And so I think that, you know, these, these discussions have always been, I think, central to sports figures. 
I think they've, but, but for some reason, they haven't been as mainstream in the sports conversation as they have in recent years. And I think it's a great thing. So you had this incredible arc of stories from, you know, what happened with the Clippers to what happened with a Rice to then Michael Sam, you know, yeah. who brought, you yeah. know, sexuality and sports front and center. Um, obviously, we also had Penn State. We had, um, we had, I think, really critical, um, a, a number of, of sports stories that have happened in recent years that have almost forced the conversation. The, the great thing that's happened is it has made people more comfortable with talking about those things on air, and it has brought in a lot of new voices of people who wouldn't traditionally ever appear on a sports broadcast into the forefront. Absolutely. So I think it's brought a lot of people from various backgrounds, you know, and uh, I'm not just talking about just women, but I would say, you know, other, uh, what it, what had been considered, you know, minority voices in, in a largely white male dominated sports field. Um, a lot of other voices are now to the table as well. They should be. And right. so the conversation is now much more, I would say multi-layered, much more well-rounded, much more intelligent, um, and much more thoughtful than it was even a couple of years ago. Um, and that's been, and those are voices that have continued to stay, and they've, they've had staying power. Right. Because even though maybe you brought in voices to just talk about certain issues, whatever they may be, those people are sticking, and they need to continue to stick um, and, and have larger and larger roles. So I would say... That was that was one issue, um, but it, it, it thank God you know we're we're talking about all these issues, and it's also been driven by the Carmelo Anthony's and LeBron James of the world who right. have Willing said, talk about it, yeah. "I'm an athlete, I'm an athlete, and I'm going to talk about it because it's important to me." You know what I mean? I'm right. going to wear I'm going to wear this T-shirt. I'm going to post this Instagram. I'm going to write a column for the Guardian. You know, whatever it may be, my entire interview, pretty much with Carmelo Anthony coming into the game was about social activism wow. and his, in his evolving role. And, and, and it wasn't about the Knicks, you know what I mean? And it wasn't even, it was about the Olympics, but it was about social activism in the context of who are you? Who, and, and to a certain extent, I talked to, um, you know, I mean, I talked there, there are, there are threads and other conversations that are, that are about that too, with Alex Morgan. And I talked about Orlando um, and, and, and we talked about women's rights and we talked about the WNBA and what they've recently done and, and why the, you know, U.S. women's soccer team supported their, their sisters in the WNBA and why the U.S. women's soccer team filed a suit to get equal pay. Right. You know, so these, are, again, these are like, these are things that are really important. And that's why I got into sports, because like I said, what I was saying earlier, because the people are fascinating and because sports is a microcosm of everything else happens in life and the sports world and the news world are closer than ever. Yeah. Look, and look. a lot of what we talk about isn't just highlights and X's and O's, it's news events. And those are, those are important things to understand and to not shove to the side. In between her sports journalism work, Storm co-hosted CBS's The Early Show. How did that job fit with the rest of her career? Before ESPN was, um, you, you mentioned one of the goals was to, to be on a morning show, and, and you were at the uh, at the early show at CBS. Um, what was the the? Uh, I guess how, how was that part of your career like, where you, you sort of stepped away from sports to more to the news side um, before you went back to sports at ESPN? 
yeah, it was fantastic. It was an incredible job. Um, it really worked for uh, my kids and my personal life as well because it kept me. We traveled some, um, which was great, but it wasn't all the time. And I was home. You know, I've always tended towards morning jobs, being a mom. Right. So instead of nighttime jobs, so that I could, you know, be gone in the morning, but be there when they get home from school and be there on the weekends and such forth. So even my, you know, the SPN job, even though I travel a lot more, that's still essentially a morning job. So I'm around at, you know, cook dinner and I'm around at night and around for the sports activities and all that. So in that sense, that was, that was phenomenal. Um, but even more so, I think the variety of the job was so great. So talk about live interviewing, you know, I would interview, you know, every day, like, you know, heavy news interviews. I mean, let's say you're talking to somebody on Capitol Hill and all those interviews with the goal of back at that time, it was making news. So you right. would want to hit the wire, right? So you'd want to hit the AP wire. You know, as soon as you were done with the interview, you'd want that to hit the wire. So that was like my personal goal every day. <laughs> so it taught me how to, it did teach me how to get, you know, it taught me how to, I guess, ask really open-ended questions where I was getting real answers. You know, it taught me how to get content. Right. And, um, and it taught me how to do a quick interview, too, because a lot of those interviews were not long. Um, sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. You know, sometimes you would, sometimes you would literally have to have someone tell a story in two and a half minutes. Yeah, especially broadcast and, news. And, and, yeah. and, and that was, yeah, and that was really interesting. So I really, you know, became, I think, very adept at live interviewing. Right. And um, learned a lot and then also learned a lot about different kinds of people in different situations. So I interviewed, I did a lot of our music. So I interviewed a ton of musicians, particularly I ended up in country music, doing a lot of sit downs and a lot of a lot of a lot of those kinds of interviews. Um, I did a ton of actors, um, which actually I do now again at ESPN, which is pretty funny. We, we you know we interview a lot of actors and 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 you know some musicians. I interviewed a lot of chefs, did a lot of cooking segments, right. did a lot of you know sort of live. Um, I did a lot of um, sort of breaking stories, so. Um, you know, I was there for, you know, Hurricane Katrina comes to mind, um, uh, as, as a major story that I was involved in, but I was involved, you know, during those years and, you know, I did the democratic national convention. I did, you know, one of Barack Obama's first interviews, Right, all the politics. um, you know, I was at the white house, you know, with uh, Bush with 43, you know, I mean, it was, it was really cool, you know, and, um, so I would say it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was an incredible experience. I love doing politics and I love doing cooking and, um, I really liked it, you know, pretty much everything in between. Yeah. Um, the whole range there. And, 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 and back, and back in, and back in those days, you know, we did do a lot of hard news. So I would say the first half hour of the show was very, very news intensive, right. you know, and the, the, what I call the second Gulf War. So I was, you know, I was at ESPN for the, I mean, I was at CNN for the Gulf, the original Gulf War. And then for the second incarnation of the war, I was at CBS, you know, and that was, it was a very, very difficult time, you know, because, you know, I interviewed a lot of people who lost loved ones. Um, so, you know, I, I had the, the, the sad but the very important job of telling the story of people who had who had passed away. Yeah. And um so I would say that I learned a lot of 
I learned a lot of news judgment there, but I also learned how to do, you know, I would say very sensitive interviews. Right. And, um, you know, I just did one for the run-up to the Olympics. So, you know, it was a very difficult interview to do um, with uh, Monty Williams, you know, oh, yeah. Who, yeah. who lost his wife. And so that's an interview that, you know, has started airing and it will air more next week. But those are, you know, those are things that you... Along the way, you know, if you're lucky to be around long enough and be in the business that, you know, there are very important ways that you need to handle certain situations. I want to ask you, because, you know, one other element to your, your career has been not only behind, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera with um, Brainstorming Productions, which, uh, you know, is producing documentaries for ESPN, but also other forms of content for a variety of outlets. Uh, how did that come about? What what has been, you know, sort of what was the thinking in your mind behind getting in, in that role as well? Well, I really had always felt this sort of desire to have creative control over, over something, right? So when I was at NBC, I wrote two books. Um, this was, you know, the, the extent of what I was, you know, able to do, right, when I was employed by NBC. And when I left, um, and then I went to, to CBS News. When I left CBS News, I had about a six-month window before I, I went to ESPN. And I did, I took advantage of that time and did two things I had always wanted to do. So I created my own company so that I could create my own content, right? right? This, you know, films, branded content, what have you. I did that. And then I also created a, a charitable foundation because I wanted to, wherever I went, I wanted to grandfather both of those things into my new job. And, um, I got to say, you know, ESPN has been, um, an incredible place to to be able to do that. Um, it's really unusual um, for talent. Not not as not as much anymore because like Al Roker has done it, and again Barbara Walters did it. Um, you know, there are definitely people who who are on air um, and sort of a you know news capacity who have who have produced programming. And obviously Ryan Seacrest is the ultimate example. Right, but. Um, but, 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 you know, it wasn't necessarily as common when I did this, you know, at the time, it was just something that I wanted, I wanted to be able to say, listen, here's a story and here's how I think it should be told. And I, I just wanted to be in on the creative end of it rather than always be executing it. You know what I mean? And so I have a like sort of a more, a producer mindset, which is really cool because on my show now, you know, it's obviously very collaborative and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm way, way into the, the production elements of, of what I do now. Right. But, you know, I had been on the talent end for a long time and I wanted to be on, I wanted the, the full, the full experience. So, and, you know, actors do it. I think after a certain point in their career, you see a lot of, you know, whatever Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and, you know, people like that kind of do it simultaneously. So I think you see, you see so many more people that have been in front of the camera going back and, you know, you know, Longoria going back and, and producing. Yeah. Um, and I think it just, I think it just fulfills that, that creative need, you know, and also that need to have to sort of be the boss once in a while, right. you know, right. Have that um, kind of control I think, you know, it, yeah. so much of our, so much of your life, you're working for, for other people. And that's, that's awesome. At the same time, it's super exciting to build your own team. 
you've achieved a lot uh, early in, in your career and, and had a really a, 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 a variety of, of jobs throughout your career. What, what advice would you give to someone, especially like a, a young woman who's just getting out of college, wants to break into the media world, doesn't really know where to start? What advice would you give someone like that? I think, you know, it's, it's sort of the same as it was even back in the day, even though there are a lot more job opportunities and you can blog and you can, you can, you can write and you can, you know, there, there are just so many, many things you can do. I do think that sort of the old fashioned model of doing internships really helps you get out and see what your opportunities are. And so I always advise people to do that. Try to get Try to try to get an internship. Try to get a job somewhere. Don't be afraid to work somewhere really, really small. Um, don't try to get your uh, dream job right away. You know, do something that just get any kind of experience. Really, just start off getting almost any kind of experience that you can. And um, I think I think honestly, the core of anything too is being a really good writer. And so I tell people to really. Try to focus on your writing skills because no matter what you do and what area of sports, that's going to be that's going to be huge for you. Um, and just you know, keep an open mind. You know, I mean, again, you know, the the path may not always be straight and may not always be clear in this kind of industry. So you really have to keep an open mind about what kind of jobs you might accept what kind of areas you might be interested in, what kind of, you know, what, what kind of internships you do and definitely don't, um, don't underestimate something else. That's like super, super simple. And that's hard work because, um, you know, you can, you can start off with any kind of advantage or disadvantage that, that you might have in life. But, but honestly, if you work hard, you you are going to be successful if you work hard. You know, if you have a really, really strong ethic from start to finish, that is going to separate you. And that's something that's fully in your control. That's always in your control. It's how hard you work. That's Autonomous Podcast number 12, a curated audio Q&A with media personalities. Thanks to Hannah Storm. Great talking to her during the Olympics. And thank you for listening all season. Today's Autonomous Podcast was powered by Sculpt, the social media team behind campaigns like The Third Wave, a new book by AOL founder Steve Case. Find out more about their clients, capabilities, and culture at wearesculpt.com. That's we are S-C-U-L-P-T.com. Sculpt, the creative agency for a connected generation. And you've listened this far, you might as well give a plug for my digital content and consulting company, Crack Hour Media. We combine experience with experimentation to tell your story, finding new digital audiences for you, your brand, or your company. We do that by focusing on great content, video, written, and audio, like this. Find out more at crackhour.media. That's crackhour.media. The Autonomous Podcast returns in October. Talk to you then.